Hello, and thank you for joining us here on the Broncos Podcast Network. I'm Phil Milani, joined as always by Eric Dalala. Today, Broncos Ring of Famer Rod Smith joins Jim Sakamano for another great episode of Broncos Country Throwback. Yeah, Phil, uh, we love Rod Smith here, the Broncos' all-time leading receiver. I think you can expect some great stories from Rod about his career, about what he's been up to after. Uh, just a real fun guy, so... With that, let's get to Jim Sakamoto's conversation with Rod Smith. We are honored to be talking today on Broncos Country Throwback with Rod Smith. Rod, you're a member of the Ring of Fame, back-to-back world championships for the Broncos, one of the greatest players in franchise history. But none of those, none of those are really the thing that if you said, what is it about Rod Smith? I'd say that isn't it. Um, Rod, what, what drove you from when you were a little boy? What made you different? <laughs> it's a um, tough one, but it's the truth, Rod. <laughs> I can give you a list of stuff. You want them in alphabetical order? Or? No. I don't know, but but I know this. A lot of times people will not answer it. Like Shanahan will just poo-poo it and say, oh, I don't really know. Only he does really know. Usually the people who have had greatness really do know. Yeah, you know what? Um, and I remember you and I having some conversations a few years back, and, and that topic came up. And it is a tough topic to answer, but um, the one thing that drives me and still drives me to this day is lack. And what I mean lack is, is, is you know, every time in, in, in your life, no matter what age you are, no matter, you know, kind of what you're going through, there's something always missing. And so for me, um, as it relates to especially my my football career and getting to work for an amazing organization, all you guys that are behind, not just you, Jim, but the podcast, everybody, the Broncos as an organization as a whole, you know, at that phase in my life, it was an opportunity that I was missing. It was that, that lack of, of chance to change my family's life. And I wanted that so bad. And I was willing to do whatever I had to do within reason, within the rules, within the law, but I wouldn't sleep. I would do whatever I had to do to, to get an opportunity to, to change my family's dynamics. And so that lack, that piece that I was missing is what drove me every day. That That's a good thing. You know, I know you mentioned you've, we've talked so much, Rod, but you've mentioned how like growing up, there were other kids who could play better, who were more talented or something like that. Only they did not reach what you reached. They just didn't have that extra something that said that it wasn't, the result was not going to be based totally on talent, but on desire and want to do it properly to succeed. Absolutely, man. I, and it's just crazy because as we're, as we're uh, having this conversation, the world is in a completely different place than it was six months ago. Right. And, um, Right. And to me, it's a time for people to actually get better. Your life had to slow down. So find a way to get better. And um, and I remember telling you this story. You you I, I couldn't see your face when you was on the phone, but I could just imagine what you were looking at me like I was crazy. Because I told you the story about the 10 guys in my neighborhood. And, uh, and, and it was crazy because I said, Jim, out of 10 guys in my neighborhood, I was probably ranked number nine. And you're like, Rod, there's no way you're going to tell me that there was eight other guys better in your, your neighborhood. I said, yes, actually, it probably was all nine of, but I wouldn't put myself at number 10. That's the only thing mm-hmm. is I wouldn't put myself at 10, but 
I grew up in a neighborhood with some talented guys, and I just wanted to get picked. Every day we played basketball, you just want to get picked. You just want to be good enough to somebody see you and put them, put you on their team. And so I was always climbing ladder to try to get accepted. And so in the NFL, there's no different. So, you know, starting on the practice squad and all that stuff, I just wanted to get picked. I just wanted a chance to to get a chance to show what I could do. And, and, and this organization, you know, blessed me. And they just gave me a chance. Wade Phillips is still – to me, he's like one of the best people ever in my life, the way he came along and gave me a chance. Rod, um, actually, the Broncos weren't the only pro team you talked to. And if I'm not mistaken, there was one of them. I forget the circumstance, but they didn't didn't welcome you as much as the Broncos did. And you signed with the Broncos. <laughs> actually, Is that I a nice way to put it? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it was... Um, yeah, it was. It, we'll put it that way. Um, and I remember, uh, you know, sitting at home, um, especially on draft day. You know, you want to hear your name called, and um, and uh, I didn't get my name called, of course. But um, I actually was on the phone with um, the actually the defending world champion. I was on the phone with them uh, during draft day, and, um, and they told me they were thinking about drafting me in the third round and my heart beating. I'm in the room by myself. I'm scared because I didn't refuse to have a draft party or anything. And and then later on, the, the guy called me back and, and, and told me, you know, I went to a small school and I, and I wasn't as fast enough. I wasn't good enough pretty much. Basically, all I heard is I wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. And um, that's all I heard. I, 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 was, I, know. I was hurt, man. I was crushed. And um and eventually, and I had no idea, to be honest, of the rivalry between the Broncos and the Chiefs and all that stuff. But eventually, at the end of the day, there was a couple of teams that called about being a free agent. I didn't even know what that meant. But that, my agent told me, hey, you get to pick where you want to go. And the Broncos have this. And I said, you know what, man, I just want a chance to, to show what I can do, man. I, I just I just wanted to fill that void of not, not being wanted. I just wanted to fill that void. And the Broncos gave me that chance. You know, Rod, you don't know how often I quote you or tell stories about you. Um, and when you were kind enough to speak at the Metro State University Athletic Banquet a few years ago, you remember that, of course, that was strictly yeah. the result of them listening to me talk about you so much that they eventually said you'd think Rod Smith would talk at our banquet. Uh, you know, but um, if people if people would listen to you, the first line in Mike Shanahan's book is, let's get this straight. If I can do this and be successful, you can be successful at your goals. It's amazing how people don't believe that, but your testament, Rod, to the fact, you are testament to the fact that, yes, you can. You put your mind to it, and yes, you can do it. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I um, I still live that way to this day, man. It's nothing, I mean, nothing is given. You know, the world is completely changing, and moving and adjusting and adapting and if you don't do that you're going to get you're going to get knocked off and there's a lot of people hurting right now but there's also a lot of people prospering right now you know uh the 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 times to me i always i always believe that the economy is a personal thing as far as the economy not just financially but the economy as a whole everything around you the stuff you have and you don't have and i know there's some certain circumstances that none of us can control but how we respond to it we can control and there's some, some bad breaks. Good people get bad breaks, and that's happening all around the country right now. But you've got to keep that mindset of positivity and having faith. If you truly have faith, you know, most people, when they hear faith, they think spiritual. 
And if you truly have that spiritual faith in what you believe in, you know it's going to work out. It's just a matter of time. And so you just got to keep moving forward. And so I've always been, um, you know, I, I never went to church a whole lot growing up, even though my grandfather was a pastor when I was little and he passed away. And, uh, and I've always had that in me that, you know, having that faith and, uh, you know, just believe it in yourself, you know, especially right now. And I know even in Broncos country right now, we don't, we don't know what's really going to happen here in month from now. I know camp just started back yesterday. I saw the guys and the videos and the pictures and I immediately started going to stories of my first camp in my head, man. I was just sitting there last night for about 30 minutes talking to a couple of buddies and uh, they was like, dude, I said, man, I said, man, when this day comes around, you know, 20 plus years ago for me, I mean, it was just an amazing feeling, you know, just knowing where you came from and, and how you had faith, but you also had work ethic to give you an opportunity to, to put to to change your life. Yeah, I remember your very first catch in the NFL, and I know you do, but many fans might uh, want to hear it again, and and uh, they don't realize, you know, who it was against and what the significance of it was. But it was like out of, in fact, if it were drawn up in a Hollywood movie it would be rejected as too ridiculous. <laughs> it was. Yeah, it, true. Yeah, we can't put that on the screen. <laughs> yeah, no, it, you know what? It was, it was crazy because, you know, here's this kid. He just wants to, he just wants to work, man. I was on special teams. Uh, we're playing the Redskins. I'm on special teams. And honestly, I think Brian Mitchell may have broken a record, uh, NFL record on special teams that day for his return yards against us. And Brian and I are real good friends to this day. And, I, and we him talked about that the last time I saw him. Uh, we was golfing over in Tahoe a couple of years back, and I'm I'm not having a good day. We're not having a good day as a team. And I remember James Washington, uh, the safety for James Washington. For you young guys, look up James Washington, the safety. He played for the Cowboys as well, but he also played for the Washington Redskins. James Washington is probably the reason they have the concussion protocol today, because James Washington would kill anybody who went into anywhere in his defense, he would kill him. And in our game, this was true. He knocked Mike Pritchard out of the game. Uh, we only had four receivers dressed that day. It was me, Ed McCaffrey. Ed and I were backups. Mr. Ed, Mc, Eddie, McC Eddie Mack was backup. And I, uh, Anthony Miller and, and uh, Mike Pritchard, they were the starters. And we only had four receivers dressed that day. And James Washington knocked out the starters. So Eddie Mack and I are in the game, and I'm dead from special teams. And it's the end of the game, and uh, we he called 24 double go. I just I remember that, and, and he said he's gonna give one of us a chance. He's gonna put it up. And I remember just running because I hadn't had any catches in my whole career. I'm just running down. And I'm trying to get position as best I can. And I Who's lose the up corner? And I see the ball. Who's the corner? Uh, <laughs> the corner is a Hall of Famer right now, Daryl Green. Uh, exactly. NFL fastest man. He probably still run a four two forty nine, fifty something years old. But um, you know, I'm not paying attention to who it is. I'm just glad to be working. You know what I'm saying? So, mm -hmm. and I got myself to position, and uh, John gave me a chance, and I and I put it up. Uh, when he put it up, and I just I just like basketball. I just old school backyard basketball for me. Just body position, put him up, went up, caught it. And I remember falling in the end zone, and I saw that orange paint. Now, oh, snap, I'm in the end zone. <laughs> so we just won the game. Mm -hmm. There was only six seconds left on the clock. And um, and one, one another moment that relived that for me was uh, I remember all of us was at John's Hall of Fame uh, induction, and he had to put his top five plays of his career. And that was one of his plays of his career, the Hail Mary with no time on the clock. So for me, I got a big picture of it. My agent, Jack Mills, 
out of Boulder. He had this. It was in the. I think oh, a wonderful the, man, by the way. Yeah, Jack and awesome man. Jack and Tom and his whole squad over there. Uh, they blew this big giant poster up of me making that catch on Daryl Green, right where my fingers touched the ball. It was one of my favorite things that I have in my house. It's one one of my favorite plays in my NFL career. And uh, you know, I just from there, you know, you really believe you're gonna make it and everything's gonna be great. Uh, and I just remember I didn't catch another pass for six weeks after that. So. But <laughs> you know, um, what uh, to me one of the great moments of your career and one of the most memorable was at the end of a practice when Mike Shanahan announced, the, and I don't mean any ill will to anybody, times change, but when he announced he was letting Mike Pritchard and Anthony Miller go, both number one draft choices, and the fans, the, the press said, who's going to start a wide receiver? And he said, Rod Smith and Ed McCaffrey. And if I had any guts, I'd have done this weeks ago. And yeah, I thought, you know, because he crazy. said every day in practice, those guys, they practice the best. So they're the starters. Yeah, that was, that was nuts to even kind of get lumped into that conversation because, you know, Eddie Mack and I, man, Ed and I, still great friends to this day. I can't wait to to get back to some football and watch him get do his coaching thing up there at UNC and do his stuff, man. And I talk to his wife, him and his uh, wife all the time through text messages and stuff. But uh, Eddie and I was just glad to work, man. And we just worked our tail off like every single day. You can still see that from both of us today. We just work our tail off and take advantage of opportunity. And um, and as starters, we didn't we didn't slow down. We just kept the same pace that we had before. Except mm-hmm. now we're taking seventy snaps a game instead of seven snaps a game. And um, and you know back to back Super Bowls as both of us are starters, you know, uh, right after that happened. Yeah, you you you're an amazing guy, Rod. Uh, just evangelical in nature. And, and you mentioned, um, well, you mentioned you know that your uh, did you see your uncle is a pastor? No, my grandfather was a pastor. My your grandfather, grandfather was a pastor. Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of different ways to spread the word, and what the word is is just being a good person and loving people and, and going along that way and giving everybody a chance. It's as simple as that. Um, so, Rod, we did a book some years ago or, or a chapter in a book, and I asked you about your greatest game. And I wasn't surprised, but the greatest game you gave me, the greatest game of your career, was one in which you had not caught at that moment, at that time, at that moment in time of history. You did not catch a pass in the game. It was your only <laughs> pro game where you didn't have a catch. Yeah, Super Bowl, Super Bowl 32. But tell, tell us why that was big. You, you know what? Um, I know the answer. I'm asking you to say it. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Super Bowl 32, the reason why, like, like people say, well, why would that be your greatest game? You had no catches and your receiver. My life has never been about me. It's always been about team. It's always been about family. It's always been about others. And, and that collection of work, you know, that collection of body work. And so I, I still remember when we went to the Super Bowl 32, um, you know, the Broncos had been the previous Super Bowls. And, and all you hear we're talking about were the three Super Bowls that the Broncos lost and blah, 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 blah. I said, well, they had nothing to do with us. We weren't on that team. Well, most, none of us were on that team. I think John was on a couple of those teams. But we weren't on those teams. So to us, it didn't matter what the Broncos had done in the past. But you could feel the weight of never winning a Super Bowl on the city, on the state, on, the, on the, everybody who bleed orange and blue, there was this huge weight on all of us. And for the players, for a lot of the players who weren't Bronco players for years, 
we didn't feel that way. We just knew we were the better team. And to go out there, man, and do what we did as a combination, we're under the 14 points and a lot of statistics and 13 points and other so-called gurus. They picked us all to lose and get blew out by Green Bay. And we're sitting there laughing like, dude, are y'all serious? You haven't seen what we've done all year. And right. this again, this again is what the world does. They put you down because of what they don't believe and what they don't know. And for us to go out there and scrap and fight and claw and really kick the Green Bay Packers tail, that was the greatest game for me. And plus, I knew what the city, the city needed, the country needed it as far as the Bronco fans needed it, man. That's why it was my greatest game. And uh, I always tell people, you know what? My Super Bowl ring is the same size on that way. So it, it was well, awesome for me. Yeah, it was, it was ultimate. Uh, Rod, so, of course, you remember very well when Carl Durrell Started off with the minority program, then he became an assistant. And I mean, any of us could tell that Carl had it. He really did. Now he's the head coach at Colorado, where I really hope he does yeah. well. But you remember those days. Now, do you do you remember the time when Carl had to go do a like a a, a bone donor kind of a thing to a brother who uh, who had an illness and he needed something? Yes. And you coached the team for a week. So <laughs> I go to, I go to you on. Say, Rod, could you talk to the media? And you say, all right, I'll, I'll try to squeeze it in. But I'm busy. i got to have a meeting. <laughs> and I do the schedule, and I thought, what the heck? There's no meeting now. What meeting do you have to have? And you said, Coach, Carl is gone. I'm coaching these guys. You were the wide yeah. receivers coach for a week. <laughs> About two days later, a veteran player, and I don't remember who, but he comes up to me, and he says, Sock, when is Coach Durrell coming back, please? Because Rod is killing us. <laughs> Rod is killing us. We want Coach Durrell back. But that's Rod Smith. You expected guys to play and practice and study like you did. Many guys just go through the motions that they do not have the, the same drive you had. Yeah. No, man. Um, that, was a, that was a weird week because it's like, well, they're not going to bring anybody in, so we got to do it ourselves. And, and I wanted – us to make him proud, you know, because Carl, I mean, I, I, Carl coached me for three years. And, I mean, to this day, I mean, I really attribute a lot of the success Classy I had. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this guy is amazing, man. I had over 300 catches with him in three years. And I attribute those catches to him, just the way he coached me and the way he approached it. And so when he was gone, I approached it to them the way he approached it to me. And I probably cranked it up a notch because I wanted us to be successful that week and prove to him that what he told us was working, you know. And you don't want to let anybody down. I didn't want to let him down. I didn't want to let Mike down. But I didn't want to let those players down because they was, it, was a, it was a fairly younger group of guys. And uh, they respected me, but I just wanted to make sure that we put our best foot forward uh, in the absence of our leader, which was Carl. Uh, Rich Tootin was our strength and conditioning coach, of course. And he told me once, we've got a lot of guys here, and they all come in and see me. And a lot of them are all about them and what they can do, but they're part of the team concept, but it's about them. Rod Smith is all about the team. And that is like the only thing that matters to Rod is the team. That was high praise because there's no lies in the strength room. You either work or you don't, and the strength coach sees it all. Oh, yeah. Now, Rich, Rich is still to this day, man, one of, one of the greatest people 
uh, friend, uh, whatever you call it, that I've ever had in that organization. You know, I spent a lot of time with him in the weight room, and he he really got my body and my mind in in order. And most people don't realize that. You know, people think, oh, he's just a strength condition guy. He just gets you in shape to play football. But he really got me in shape mentally, man. He told me things um, from working out that I wouldn't have never thought of, but the way he worded it, it put my it put me in a different mind frame to work better. And he told me, he said, oh, he said I've been in those meetings with the position coaches. We watch everything as a group. See, I didn't know this. I didn't know every coach watches pretty much everything under Mike. Like all the offense coaches, <laughs> oh, all yeah. the defense and stuff. Oh yeah, I didn't I didn't know this. So and I remember him saying this. He said he said, Rod, we as a group of coaches watch everything. So he said, I know what they have planned for you. And it's a lot. And I'm like, holy crap. He said, So what you think I'm doing to you right now, I promise you you'll be better in the four than everybody in the league. And so I quit complaining as much. I still kept my complaints. That was a part of our deal. But I realized what he was putting me through was prepare me for greatness. He wasn't prepare me to just be good or average or just to go out and, you know, do my best and it's going to be okay. No, he prepared for me to be great in those moments, man. And so, Rich, Rich I mean, I talked to Rich not too long ago. Me and Keith Burns called him up, man, and got some great laughs out of him. Man, I love that guy, man. He's, a, he's an amazing man. Burns is another great one. Rod, the year following Super Bowl 32, it was so cool to see when we win 33 and we go back to back. And it was so cool to see that one of the big plays, actually, it was the play of the game. Because I remember in the press box looking over at their PR guy when uh, when Elway threw that ball and you caught it. And before you even reached the end zone, he had one of those looks on his face that, well, we've all had it. It was a real, real bad look, Rod. And it was uh, it was great to see you have that moment. Yeah, you know, considering coming off thirty two, I had no catches, and um, and then in the first half of the Super Bowl thirty three, I had five catches for one hundred and fifty yards or so, and um, it was just you know what, it was it was a moment, man, it was a team moment, and uh, it is one of the weirdest things that I tell people um that we made that play up on the sideline. They're like, what do you mean? I said. Um, and I actually got – this is probably, probably weird that most people – this is some underground stuff that you didn't even know. And, you know, Jim knows everything, but he doesn't know this. Bill doesn't know it. None of the Broncos. I actually got paid from – I guess I can say the company's name – into it. for it's called, it's called Gen Time, like, learning. And they was trying to do a thing with their executives. I got paid a lot of money to go tell this – how do you learn – in, in a split second in, in coaching, you adjust, you adapt it, and you go do it immediately. Because in sports, you don't have time to analyze, go back and forth with your coach. And I was telling this story, and a friend of mine works for Intuit. They hired me to go to Dallas and tell that story as a part of their coaching program. It was kind of cool. And plus, I love business. So, But we put that play in the game on the sideline. People don't know that. Right before we ran the play, coaches came to me and said, hey, listen, we're going to call this, but you run a post instead of what you normally would do. He said, yes, he said, the, the safety's jumping and just run a post. I was like, all right. It really was just that simple for me. It, I was like, whatever he said to do, just do it. They don't argue and make it work. And next thing you know, I look up, John made a great play to throw it kind of cross field. Mm-hmm. And 80-yard bomb later in the Super Bowl, you know, made up having no catches in my favorite game. So, 
so much about you uh, just, just of course, has to do with mm-hmm. attitude. And you mentioned uh, that you love business. Well, that reminds me of a story that maybe you would tell. It involves your daughter. And it involves a book on business and economics. <laughs> yeah. And people have no idea. I mean, they say, yeah, you know, Rod kind of pushes his kids and he kind of wants this or that. They have no idea. Is that a story that you would care to share? <laughs> yeah, my, my, my daughter's my daughter's 15 years old. And um, one of my favorite books of all time is the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It's just one of my favorite books of all time. It really changed my thought processes on, on, on perspective when it came to money because it was stuff I never knew. And Ray Crockett gave me the book on a trip to going to New York where he was going to play the Jets. And I said, man, my kids got to read this book. So my daughter's 15. She wants a car at 16. Like most kids, they want a car at 16, get the license. <clears throat> so for her 15th birthday, I gave her the book. I said, hey, Vanessa, listen, check this out. Here's the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I need you to do three things. You do these three things. At 16, I'll buy you a car. So she got one whole year to read this book. I said, you got to read the book. You got to understand the book. And you got to try hard in school. She's got one whole year to do this. And so I gave her the book and I gave her some other things and, and I, I left it alone. I'm, I'm done. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to remind you of it. About two weeks before her 16th birthday, I said, hey, so how's that book coming? Oh, it's going okay. I said, okay. To me, I'm like, I know for a fact she hadn't read this book because for mm-hmm. one, her language mm-hmm. didn't change. I know for a fact she hadn't, she didn't understand it. Remember, you can't just read it, but you got to understand it. Right. Her birthday, her birthday comes. She thinks she's about to get a car. Oh, she got all kind of stuff. Now she had but to go to the hospital meanwhile. Yeah, yeah, you know, because she had sickle cell, and so we had some treatments mm-hmm. and stuff like this, and and nothing to me. It was still normal for me. I really wanted to buy my daughter a car, but I asked her to do one simple thing. Well, the three things are part of the one simple thing, which was read this book, understand it, and try hard in school. That's it. She didn't do it. Her 16th birthday comes. She's looking for a car. I said, what did I ask you to do? I said, remember that book when you was 15? So her mom yelled, screamed, and cussed at me for not buying my daughter a car. They had, to, they had to call, what do you call it, like a like an intermediary in the hospital, or whatever you yeah. call it. Uh, they had a, yeah, like they, the, like yeah. a person that had come in to mediate between you and your daughter in the hospital room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because she's pissed off. She is mad. She is hot. I'm like... Listen, I don't care what you say. You didn't, I asked you to do a simple thing. You didn't do it. You're not getting a card from me, period. How, I said, you could have read a chapter a month. There was 10 chapters in the book. You could have read a chapter a month and had two months to study the book and been done with it, but you didn't do it. So you're not getting a car. So you quit having this conversation with me. And, and literally, because her blood pressure started going up and she was stressed out, I had to pull back. And then literally, we had a lady come into the, in the room to talk mm-hmm. to her. Because I said, you don't need to talk to me. I live off my principal, and I'm done. I'm done with the conversation. You know, she eventually gets out of the hospital, this is that. And literally, she's mad. She's, she's really thinks she's entitled to this car. And I'm like, I'm sorry. My principal come before your car. And it literally took two years I said, Vanessa, listen to me very carefully. You will never get a car from me until you do what I asked you to do with that book. Done. It took her two years. My sisters, my mom, even her brothers, everybody thought I was nuts about this damn book. I said, listen, 
It's real simple. It's a damn book. Read it. Understand it. Try hard in school. That's it. At 18 years old, my daughter finally did it. She, I, I told her, I said, you could have listened to the book. There was a thing called audio books that had came out. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You could have listened to it and studied it. You could have did all the stuff. She said, well, you didn't tell me I could do that. I said, I told you to understand it. I didn't care how you absorbed it. At 18 years old, she finally reads the book. She finally understands the book. Her language changed. I'm happy finally. And I remember that Christmas, I bought her and my niece matching oh. uh, cars. And uh, yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, I bought so them cool. matching cars. Yeah, it was, it was Ryan, crazy, but when when you went into the Colorado Sports Hall of Fame, a great honor. I remember this, and I'm sure you must. But you would not allow your sons to go to the banquet, and you said at the podium, "School night." <laughs> it's a school night. They've got school tomorrow. They can't come to this banquet to see their dad go to the Sports Hall of Fame. I'm telling you. Yeah. Rod, yeah, you... Uh, I, excuses, man. You got to try to eliminate some excuses as a parent. Sometimes it's never popular, but I just, that's just the way I parent. You know what I'm saying? I want them to never have excuses for why they can't be great. Once upon a time, you were lifting, and and you weren't there. You're lifting, and your two sons were at your locker, kind of bouncing a ball, and uh, and there was this player, big big lineman who had just taken a shower, and nobody else was there, and the ball bounces away, and one of your kids, young kid, he says, "Mister, would you go get that ball for me?" And I thought, well, that's kind of, you know, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm a lot older than you are, kid, you know, so I said, "You want me to go get your ball for you?" And he said, "Yes, sir." Our daddy told us that we could not leave his locker. Now, there's nobody there to supervise them. They could have left the locker. But they said, no, daddy says, and the, the, the ball player, I can still remember he was wiping himself and dragging the towel under his crotch. And, oh, yeah, Rod told them boys they can't leave his locker. And I said, I'll be glad to go get your ball for you. And I, I got the ball. But I thought that said a lot about about you and how you handled your kids. I also remember you used to tell them that they can have candy, but only if they share it. If they won't oh, yeah. share, they can't have any candy. Yeah. They, they, you know how kids are, man. One gets something, the other one won't. So yeah. In order to break them and want this individual stuff, they had, to, they had to split pretty much whatever they got. You know, besides food and stuff like that when we went out or whatever, but they were just so kind of at odds with each other. I made them share pretty much everything outside of the house that was already theirs. I said, no, you got to split it. You got to learn to be, be a giver. And you know? I said, because people have given to us and they don't see the whole backstory of what people have blessed me with, man, by sharing and giving just not only, you know, food or whatever, my financial gifts that were given to me, but just wisdom and knowledge. And so um, it's, it's just, it's just, you know, trying to raise them as hard, man. It, unfortunately, this this raising kids thing doesn't come with a manual, right? It no, come with a, no. This is a blueprint of how to do it, and these kids are going to come out this way. And I think every parent on this on the on this podcast would definitely agree that they. I promise you, they had the same challenges in their house that I had in mine. Now, uh, how are they all doing, Rod? I know they're adults now, and you've in fact got grandchildren now. Man, I got you know the crazy part. I, this is first time this has ever been spoken. I'll, I'll say it right now. I have four grandsons right now, and I just found out I'm about to have my first granddaughter 
here in a few months. I don't know, probably about six months from now, I have a granddaughter. So, well, but uh, my son is actually, yeah. My, you know, the crazy part is in the last this month alone, July, beginning of July, my son he moved to Atlanta. He's actually here in Denver today. He's actually shooting a feature part of a feature film. He went down. I know he was into the into that film. Yeah, business. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. He's actually featured shooting part of a feature film today. Actually here in Denver. Uh, my daughter moved to Missouri. Her mom is having some health challenges, so she wanted to be in Missouri with her mom. So my daughter moved to uh, Missouri, and my other son lives in in uh, in Florida, and they're they're doing good. I'm actually in my house by myself for the first time in probably nine years. So I'm kind of excited. <laughs> and you know, and you're gonna you're gonna be a grandpa again. It's a daughter. Uh, you know, there's an old saying, Rod. Uh, a son is a son till he takes him a wife, but your daughter's your daughter for all of her life. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, if I said, but yeah, if I said to my son, "Could you give me a cup of coffee?" He'd say, "Yeah, there's the coffee pot." And if I said to my daughter, "Boy, I'd like to have a cup of coffee," she'd bring me a cup of coffee and she'd bring me a bowl of sugar and everything else. So <laughs> anyway, you know what? Um, sugar makes people sweeter, but. Nothing makes you any better than what you are, Rod. You are one of a kind, and you're very, very special to me. Very special to me, as you know. Oh yeah, no, I appreciate you, man. That's why when you when you call, I just like whatever you need, I'll do it. I just appreciate yeah. what you've done how you you honestly guide and led me uh, understand this whole the PR game, the way you approached it. I learned to approach it completely different from watching you when. Uh, I remember good old Paul Kirk and a bunch of other people. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, just um, uh, Patrick, uh, Smite, man, you, you, that's a legacy. That's your legacy. It's just like coaching. You coach those guys. And, well, thank and you. And I've had you, uh, great relationships. Yeah, I had great relationships with all those guys. Still to this day, you know, they're all good, good, uh, good people, uh, family-oriented men in my life. And uh, I just appreciate what you brought, what you brought to the table. Hey, you know, uh, speaking of our people, Richard Stewart has a ministry in Florida. Do you know that? Oh, snap, Sue. I didn't know that. Yeah, he I has a ministry. That. And, you know, he's done some stuff. And, oh, that guy. I mean, you know, I don't know. I, I, I kind of wish he'd have gotten married and had kids just because, just because of the kind of person he is and the kind of influence he has. But anyway, Richard Stewart has a ministry in Florida, and he's doing great. That's awesome, man. I'm about to, I'm about to look him up. If you get a chance, text me his number. Oh, I want to mess with I'll, 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 I'll do it as soon as we hang up. <laughs> scared the heck out of him as soon as I text him. Yeah, I'll like, do that as soon as I hang up. I'm going to say, dude, you can't get away from me. <laughs> no, you can run, but you can't. Like Joe Lewis said, you can run, but you can't hide. The ring is only so big. Um, exactly. Hey, Rod, thank you so much for doing a Broncos Country Throwback podcast with me. And I look forward to the next time we speak, whenever that is. And I wish you uh, seashells and sunsets along the way. And congratulations on uh, on the announcement of uh, of your uh, future granddaughter. Absolutely, man. Thank you, guys. Appreciate everything uh, you guys are all about, man. And uh, you need anything, just just hit me up. Thanks, Rod. You take care now. Right. Phil, that was Jim Sakamano's conversation with Rod Smith. Just quite an impressive career for a guy who was undrafted uh, and look at all that he was able to accomplish. So really fun uh, to get to hear from him. Yeah. And it's nice that Rod uh, stays around the team, obviously stayed here in Denver. And, you know, he's a mentor to a lot of these Broncos wide receivers that have come through 
over the years. And, uh, you know, there's a couple of young wideouts on the team now, and I'm sure that uh, Rod is going to play a big role in their development. So that's something to watch here over the next couple of years. But, yeah, another great conversation here on Broncos Country Throwback. If uh, you enjoy these episodes, make sure you subscribe. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Just uh, one of the podcasts here on the Broncos Podcast Network. If you're more interested in analysis and uh, everyday type of news with the team, make sure you subscribe to the Neutral Zone. We'll be back next week with more episodes of Broncos Country Throwback. Until then, for Jim Sakamano and Eric Dalala, I'm Phil Milano. Oh,